All right, y'all. Y'all ready to go? You guys ready for the journey? Okay. Today, we are talking about... <laughs> well, I guess I don't get to use that. But <laughs> we have been on this journey of talking about discipleship. And for anybody who knows me knows my heartbeat is discipleship. We went through and uh, we have just been kind of going step by step. One of the things when the slideshow turns on, like, is it's in black and white. And even the reason why I chose to put it in black and white today, even before I begin, is because really we ultimately, even the subject matter we're going over is black and white in the way that we see it. But the truth is there's color in our life, there's many details, and we can get lost in just seeing things in black and white to feel safe. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read the main section of Scripture today. Turn with me. We're, most of the time we're going to be in Colossians 2, just to let you guys know. So Colossians 2, verse 2 through 7, reads, For my hope is that their hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in unselfish love so that they may have all the riches that come from full assurance of understanding the joy of salvation, resulting in a true and more intimate knowledge of the mystery of God, that is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge regarding the words and purposes of God. I say this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive but thoroughly deceptive arguments, for even though I am absent from you in body, Nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, delighted to see your good discipline as you stand shoulder to shoulder and form a solid front and see the stability of your faith in Christ, your steadfast reliance on him and your unwavering confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in union with him, reflecting his character and the things you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin, having been deeply rooted in him and now being continually built up in him, becoming increasingly more established in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing in it with gratitude. This is the word of the Lord from Colossians. Hallelujah. All right. We're about to get going. Turning the keys. Here we go. So, as I said, we've been going over Advent, which, like in Advent, we were taking in this discipleship series the, the story of Christ and the people who were faithful, the prophets, the angels, shepherds, and taking lessons that we can still apply to us today as we are also waiting for fulfillments of promises we are also being chosen even though we're lowly in places, right? We are also expected to find ways to participate with truth. And we also are sinners just like the Magi last week, right? But we were chosen to be given grace, mercy, and participate with a, a, a Christ who's alive. That was the proof of this story is, is that he was alive and that 
as he continued, he died to enter us back into relationship. But really, that, that, that's the gospel. The gospel, even as we're walking it out, was, is, a, is a, a powerful transformation of salvation. It's a, it's a place where we're actually given something to participate, to empower us to be different, to, to be free, to be with God, to be in a place that no longer is orphans but children, to no longer be in a place that's lost but we're found, to be in a place that no longer is defined by its pain, but is defined by its peace. That is the gospel we are living for. That Christ died to free us from continually being imprisoned by our sins. Amen? And in that, we find ourselves in discipleship because ultimately discipleship, I use the, the woman at the well to kind of describe this idea of where we're going over the series is, is that really I break it down to three subjects, identity, character, and outpouring. Discipleship helps us with these three things because our identity has to first be seen so that we know where we're coming from as a reflection of people, like we're a reflection of God. We are a manifestation of him. We're not a manifestation of me. I'm not doing what I will. It's not about my rights. It's not about all these things. It's about Christ. But then to take it to the next step is it's not just about who I am, but it's about how I act. So as the gospel's transforming me, as the gospel's true, it, it, it's one step to know something, and it's another to become it. And so as we we're walking it out, our character is something that really represents God. It's, it's not just knowing something, it's actually acting out something, being defined by it. So even like over the next bunch of weeks, character is what we're going to talk about a lot. Is because ultimately, how do we go from one side of knowing to the side of application and walking out? How do we not just be a people of conformity, but a people of transformation? And ultimately, then the, it, it leads us all to the final point, which is a hard place for all of us to find within our different windows because of our judgments or because of where we are in life or whatever, which is outpouring. You've all been given something to give it. You are, the world waits for all of us because we are all reflections of God. In the very least, you have at least five friends around you. You have at least five strangers around you at any given time of your life to touch and outpour who needs to have that same exact experience of God that you have. That gives you freedom. But our example for today is the next slide. The sailboat. Okay. So I got kind of caught up in a, a, a documentary this week. Um, it was late at night. Anybody who knows me knows I watch movies at late at night that don't make sense to other people. And normally would really bore me. But it was a sailboat. And it, this guy was talking about how in sailing, it's not actually about where you're going. It's a process of getting there. And really that to successfully get there, 
you really have to have a certain parts to continue moving. And if any of them malfunction, you actually have to shut down to restart and start moving again. And I was just like, there's nothing that expresses to me what he was saying. Nothing expresses following the spirit and going after God more than the way he was describing sailing to me, where you are driven by something that you can't control. You can only react to. You are founded by something that is, in its foundation you were given, you couldn't create. And that ultimately, you don't even know if you'll ever get to the goal. Your, your job is just to make sure you maintain on the journey. So as we just talk about this, I want to I shoot off a few parts of, of the sailboat. There's a lot of parts on a sailboat. Anybody who also knows me knows I, I nerd out when it comes to things I don't know. So it's like I'll learn everything about it. But so there is a few parts I'm going to talk about right now that are key. Like these are the parts that no matter what, if any of those other parts break, of course, I'm not going to talk about the hole or the bow or any of those things. I'm talking about the, the moving parts, the parts that are for movement. So the first part is the jib. The jib is the sail at the back, right there. That is so that when the wind hits it, it launches the momentum forward. It is what drives the ship forward. The mainsail, which is the big one, it continues momentum. It doesn't actually create a lot of momentum. It just continues momentum. The mast is the vertical pole that, is, that holds the sails together. The tiller and rudder is a stick that's attached to this, these wooden paddles underneath the water. Sometimes it's steel, and it directs the direction. So you can either cut water or you can change the direction to receive more wind. And the final part is the spinnaker, which I can't ever pronounce. And this is this part of the sail that allows you to go against the current. So if the wind, it allows to, to gain more wind so that you actually can go against the way the water is going. So you have more tension to cut water. Y'all follow me so far? You guys are like, Stefan, what are you talking about? So, next slide. So today, these are the five, y'all know I got my list. These are what directs our character. Because one you're gonna see is the big points of today is our character is on a journey, just like that sailboat. And on our journey, Sometimes we're not going to see what the goals that are laid out for us, but it's about us on that water reacting and what's going to get us to where we're meant to be. Amen? And what directs us that we see from Second Colossians is what Christ has done, number one. Number two, faith. Number three, intimacy. Number four, unity. 
And number five, avoiding deception. All right? All right. You guys know what time it is? Testimony time. All right. It doesn't matter about what your words are. It doesn't matter if you have the perfect ways to say it. it. doesn't matter about your judgment. But each of us are testimonies of a living God. That this isn't about me, but it's about us as a family being able to testify about a real God. Amen? Okay, so who's going to come up this time? I want some people who I have not seen. Tim Tim. So my mother-in-law calls me. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> every time it comes to this time, I'm like, is he going to call on me? Is he going to call on me? I don't know. And I try to, yeah, anyway. So it will happen. So uh, this last week, uh, it was Christmas week, and we as a worship team, we were rather busy. Uh, we were recording a worship night on Monday night. It went really well. It's reached a ton of people online. It's amazing. If you haven't checked it out, uh, please do, because it's, it's a really cool thing uh, that happened on Monday. How all that has anything to do with anything is that on Tuesday, I went back to the place where we recorded this worship night, and um, I was picking up some things from my friend, uh, who's the worship leader there, and um, parked my car, and, uh, you know, face in, not face out, because I thought everything was going to go smooth, everything was going to go great, go back out to my car, and my car won't start. And I, you know, full disclosure, I bought a junker, but I love my Jeep. And so, um, so that night, uh, I had to leave it there and he had to give me a ride home. And so the next day, uh, so that was a blessing in and of itself that he was even there to, you know, uh, be that blessing uh, to me. But then the next day, I got a starter and it was a crazy, Wednesday was a crazy day day before Christmas Eve, Christmas Adam, I've heard it called anyway. Uh, but the blessing of it, uh, what God has spoken to me this week is just the community of God coming together when those parts do fall apart. Where my starter was toast. There was no way of, of helping it out. And so I replaced it, and thankfully it started the first time. And then... Uh, I got all the way to Clackamas, turned my car off, and it's still dead. Only it's more dead than it was before. But that's a whole other story for another time. But all of that journey leading up to Christmas Eve and then getting to uh, experience that community on Christmas where we had, you know, multiple communities coming together, multiple languages, sharing the Christmas story. It was just such a testimony to me of the community of God coming together um, and helping each other out, especially when things uh, go out. And so community, I don't know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. I, I. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, for those who know me, uh, I am really close to Stefan. He is my mentor. And he kind of helped me point out a couple things that every single kind of Christmas season, I go into like a limp mode. 
um, it's not necessarily a depression, but it's like just the pressures of being with family and experiencing love of other people for, from a different point of view, but then having these standards for yourself where these benchmarks where you haven't met them yet, you know? For instance, a lot of my brothers are married. <coughs> Comparison game, you know, with, with some of that. And it kind of like spins you into this place where you focus more on what you don't have rather than what you do have. And it happens every single season, like every single winter season, every single Christmas. And sometimes just having somebody to point out the root cause of something can help you really see and kind of stop in that place and realize, hey, I'm focusing on the wrong thing. You know, I should be focusing on what I do have, and that is my intimacy with uh, my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with community, my relationship with my parents, you know, uh, my relationship with my siblings, and the fact that I can be a mentor to them. So all these things are a huge blessing, but it's just really funny and at the same time kind of really sad how quick we can throw away our blessings in exchange for comparison. And so um, in a way, it's like a really big thank you also for like my leadership, but then also a really big thank you to, to God and uh, kind of based on that list of just reciting everything that he's already done and how good he is, and uh, that never stops. So, amen. Amen. They're both testifying to community and discipleship. Hallelujah. Anybody? Oh, you want? Well, let's come on, Jack. We're getting a bonus one today. I can remember uh, first going to church, and then they called on people to give a testimony, and all the people that got up talked about what God had done for them 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And I thought, if that's all that's going on, that they're missing something. One of the things that's been really hard for me in this pandemic is not being able to talk to people. I, I've whined about it a lot, even sometimes whining to God and kind of having some days a pity party that I didn't have anybody to talk to, just to go out and visit and uh, see where that visit would take us. Well, today I went to work. I've been to work already this morning, and I work at uh, Fred Meyer's stores, replacing all the magazines that are out of date and putting new ones out. And... Uh, I knew that we wanted to come to church today, and I get to Fred Myers, and there's 16 boxes of magazines to sort through. I usually have five, and today there were 16, and so I'm hustling and going, and this lady came up and was looking for a specific magazine, and we had it, and I talked to her, and she started talking to me, and I thought, man, I got to get back to work, or I'm never going to get to church. God poked me in the back and said, listen, you've been asking for somebody to talk to. And so we had a good, probably a half hour chat. And then she says, well, I need to get going. I said, yeah, I kind of do too. I uh, want to get this done so I can go to church. She said, where do you go to church? What kind of a church is it? So I explained to her what it was. She said, oh, I used to go to church, but I just have kind of grown away from it. Well, to make a long story short, I ended up praying with her in the aisle at Fred Myers today. 
and guided her to one of our sister churches that's in Vancouver there. It's called East Vancouver. And uh, she said she would go. She would go. So even after 77 years, God is not through with this guy yet. Amen. And he keeps teaching me new things. And I want to keep an up-to-date testimony. That's what I'm talking about. We'll see if my laptop, there it goes. Amen. I like that. Up-to-date testimony. That's what we got to be living for, right, guys? So even as we talk about today, it is about community. It's about this testimony where God is interacting right now. He's not done with anybody here. We, we start our journey today with what God wants for us. Like, when we start talking about what drives our character, we have to have a goal in sight. We have to recognize that there's actually an intention for us. And when we look at Colossians 2.2, it says, For my hope is that their hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in unselfish love so that they may have all the riches that come from the full assurance of understanding the joy of salvation, resulting in a true and more intimate knowledge of the mystery of God that is Christ. This is a really beautiful place. Having the full assurances of salvation, the riches, the, the place of intimacy, being knit together with each individual around here, with unselfish love. This is a, the heart that Paul's talking from. Can we say that that is arguably what we see Scripture directing God's heart beat for us consistently throughout all of the Bible? Yes. That we would be unified, we would be his people, and that we would know him. And we would be sure that he is a God who's faithful and saves. Would you guys agree with that? So, as we know that's true, it's also hard to walk a life that trusts that. Right? We wouldn't have addictions. We wouldn't have control problems as believers. I'm not talking to unbelievers right now. I'm talking to the people in the room who are believers if we were perfect at that. But the beautiful part is our God is still faithful. He's still working, he's still merciful, and he's not done with any of us yet. We are still on our journey, just sailing, and my favorite part about that sailing documentary was he said that every time he goes sailing, there's always something that fails, and there's always something he has to learn to do differently in the middle of that reaction because what worked before no longer works. So for all of us, as we're walking this out, we want to move from people who just believe, who have these ideas, to people whose heartbeats become this truth. That our full, our full, even like direction that we're fighting for is unselfish love to knit us together. That our salvation 
is rooted and trustworthy in a good God who never fails, who does take, he does have justice. He is a God of righteousness, but he's also a God who righteously paid with grace and mercy. And that takes actually discipleship because in this place, we can come to a place where my mind conforms to an idea. I can be explained by one of you guys, right, what the right answer is. But how do I start walking out the belief of a right answer? How do I know the right direction? As Brother Pavi just was talking about, how does he know why he gets in a slump in that season? Why is it that we, if, if Tim didn't take it into the car repair, how would he have known what the right part was? In reality, outside of the scope of our understanding, we need somebody to take a look so that it's not just the right information we have, but it's the right parts to get us going in the forward motion that we're meant to go. See, our character getting developed to reflect Christ who has saved us is a bigger importance to God than just being right. Us reflecting him is more important than us having the right answers. If our mouth can say the right things, but our heartbeat doesn't reflect the guy who will wait in the aisle and pray with you, the Christ who will stay extra days, the place where he would go and heal people, where he'd grab a hold of the leper, then we have problems because he's waiting for our heart to be saved. He's waiting for us then to seek out the people who are lost who needs to be saved too. See, today we ask the question of what directs our heartbeat. But we have to ask a few other, like, what directs our character? We have to ask a few other questions. I'm going to answer them as we go. But the first question is, why as people, oh, go back. Why as people do we all build rules to live by? The second question is, what directs our character? Which is the rest of the sermon. Do you have enough to fulfill what you are being asked? And the the last question, what is the process and goal of what we're going through? Because remember, I'm pointing out kind of like this, this sailboat analogy, right? So let's start with rules. Why, as people, do we all build rules to live by? Do we serve a God of order? Yes. Do we serve a God who, who, who created direction and he created a purpose and a placement for everything so are rules bad no rules are great but the problem is when we're built in his image that means that we've also been built for order direction and purpose amen those rules were created with one person as the lead and the top and that's God. It was with his priorities and placement. But what happens is the fall 
where we let sin come, does God reflect all of our priorities? No. So then is the things that we order around going to reflect the same purposing and the same placement as the rules that God has placed in our lives? No. So what the reason why that is is because our goals no longer start representing God, but they start representing our priority of an image that no longer reflects the intimacy of God, but rather reflects the control and power of us. So the reason why us as people have rules and so easily fall into rules is because we were created to participate with rules. We were created to participate with God, who is ordered and has purpose. But the problem is, is the further that we got from God, the further that those rules were no longer founded on God, but founded on us. But the remedy is, is Christ challenges religion and challenges our laws of man and reunifies us through challenging those priorities. We see that John the Baptist was challenging what justice and righteousness was. We see that Christ comes in and challenges their ideas and their perspectives. And in that same way, God today, right now, challenges what our rules are so that we can be brought further into into interaction with him. That's why we're called to be humble. But us as people are building rules in our lives because of Christ, because of God, because that is the way that they have anchored the world to work. The question is, what is founding our rules? When we ask the question, what is the process and what is the goal? I want us to think in our mind of that sail ship on the water and how what is the worst case scenario for a sail ship? For it to sink, to get hit by a storm and sink. Because unlike another boat, if it, if it gets hit, it's going down. And it doesn't carry that much. So in reality, for us, our biggest, our biggest placements of our process is it about being perfect. No. Christ came for the imperfect. He came for process. And in the same way, like sailing, it's not about being perfect, but it's about reacting perfectly. So in that, we cannot control the aspects of our scenarios. We cannot control the wind. We can't control where we're being directed. We can only choose how we follow. And in that process, we're going to make mistakes. But the real question in the process is, are you also willing to be humble to get back up and learn from your mistakes? And really participate with the grace and change. But the goal is ultimately God. Our goal is to get to God and participate with him. Right? I think all of us are here for the intimacy of God. Now, I've gotten through all the, the other stuff. We're going to get to the good stuff now. So what directs our character? I think it's the next slide. What Christ has done. The gospel 
first is the first place that Christ has impacted us. It starts with him dying on the cross for us, right? Where he has, he's brought and paid the sacrifice for us to enter into relationship. But then the real question is, do we have enough to meet what's being asked here? I think we all ask the question, do I have enough? Do I have enough for this race? Do I have enough to meet this aspect greatly? Do I have enough control? Do I have enough power? Do I have enough? Do I have enough? But he's already done these things, and his responsibility to do these things is what we see through the scripture is he takes ownership of. It's like a mass. This is the mass. The truth is, is can we make wood appear? No. We can only harvest wood that exists. We can, we can shape it to hold things. But ultimately, that's given to us. In that same way, God has given each of us a testimony and a gospel, and there's things that his actions have created. And within that, it holds everything together. And if we let that be destroyed, we're not going anywhere. So, oh, it did something I've never seen before. In, um, in Colossians 2.3, it says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge regarding the word and purpose of God? We ultimately see that, like, already... Christ has hidden in him everything we need. We already know that every single step has already been prepared. And all wisdom of his purpose, not our purpose, has already been stored up and prepared for us. But ultimately it comes to Colossians 2, 9 through 15 reads, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority in him. Also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses by counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame and triumph. The very clear part that we should take away from this verse out of everything is it's God who did it. There's a place that it's his working, it's his power, it's his action. He took our iniquity, he canceled our debt, by nailing himself to the cross. And in that, he also was the one who was buried, and then we participate with that through baptism. But ultimately, we have to take a foundation that's not built off of our actions, but his actions that are done for us. We have to see that ultimately, we have a God who is acting in our accordance, is acting in place of us, acting for us, with us, it's not about our actions to him 
that define that relationship. It's his actions to us that define that relationship. Amen? Okay. The second point that directs us is faith. There's actually a lot of verses throughout this, but I want us to think of faith like that jib, that back sail that propels you forward. It's the wind that causes the momentum. The truth is, is you're not going anywhere if you're not trusting God. If our goal is to get to God, then the only way to getting to God is to trust God. And when we look at Colossians 2.23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They look good, but are they stopping and making you better? Are they making you transformed? No. In other words, the verse is saying there's a lot of people who can look real good, but are they getting the goal done of getting closer to God? No. That can only be done through faith, trusting God. Because ultimately, we can know all the right actions, follow all the right rules, but if it doesn't end up having the right goal and the right priorities, it's going to end up leading us to a religious place, not to an intimate place. Because religion doesn't keep us moving forward. It's, got, it's faith in God that does. See, it's not... It's not the look good and our glory that does, but it's our trust in his glory and his goodness. See, in Colossians 2.5, it says, For even though I'm absent from you in body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, delighted to see your good discipline as you stand shoulder to shoulder from a solid front and to see the stability of your faith in Christ, your steadfast reliance on him, your unwavering confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. This faith doesn't just happen. I'm sorry to tell you, but you're not magically infused with this magic power to believe God in every single thing. I, I don't want to be a bubble burst, but there's a real place that faith looks like taking one trustworthy step towards God. Letting him direct you into the impossible. Letting him direct you, maybe not to the impossible to another person, but just your impossible. It looks like for us who have been hurt by the church to go back and be loved by the church. For us who have not had family, maybe it's to interact with family. For those who have had family and perfect lives, maybe it's you taking a risk with people you know are going to hurt you. But faith, no matter what, is what brings us to God. So no matter where you are, it takes the risk of stepping out of your control and comfortable world to trust God for one moment. And that's how it grows. Because what it does is it puts it, the confidence not in your own power, but in his power. Put your confidence not in your wisdom, but his. And ultimately, it's for the goal of participating with his goodness and representing it, rather than 
just talking about it. See, the firmness of our faith will keep us in the firmness of trusting God. The truth is, is we can talk all day about what you trust, but if your actions aren't taking risks, then you don't trust anything. See, Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. It's not, this is not a passive walk that we've taken. The beautiful part is he's not asking for us to be perfect. He's not asking for us to have everything right. He's just asking for us to take the one step of risk and trust to see him exemplified so that maybe somebody will experience what you experienced. Maybe in this moment people will be loved the way you've been loved and so ultimately they can be set free. Amen? See, the truth is obedience is good. We just pointed out that rules are awesome, right? But faith is better. I'm going to say that again. Obedience is good, but faith is better. Earnestly and diligently does the impossible. Because as we are actively seeking God, his actions are actually what's paying for us to enter into that relationship, not our sacrifices. The truth is, is you cannot sacrifice enough to enter into relationship with God. But he can. Can you receive it? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 reads, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. How many of us have read that passage before, heard it? How many of us struggle with that? The truth is, is that like in reality, he, he wants obedience. He does. But it takes us risking and trusting him with faith to actually create real obedience. It's not you trusting your ways but it's actually trusting his ways because our perceptions will get us stuck in the same old rifts, the same old cycles that we've always been in, right? And the truth is, is that how many of us thought that we're going on a straight path before and we start coming up with our shortcuts and we end up in the same broke down situation that we were before because we compromised? Yeah. Yeah. The third director is intimacy. Knowing God and being known by him equals intimacy. The truth is, is that that has been at the heartbeat of God since the beginning of time. Is to be known and to know. This is like the main mass if we do not have this, it does not matter how many times in experiences of faith that we have, we will not have continued motion. The main mass keeps us with 
continual motion. So we can have great moments of, like, Godship, where you trusted God in this moment, and it was awesome, right? But if you do not have an intimacy with him where you recognize his character, you're growing closer to him, you're trying to know him, and you're trying to be known by him and defined by him, the truth is, is you will not have continued motion on his waters because you will not be prepared to let him lead you with his wind. You won't let him be the thing that fills you up because you're afraid of being touched in a place that you don't want others to see. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 reads, Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What does this mean, Stefan? Why, why are you using it this way? Well, the truth is, is that you can't be rooted in something you don't know. You can't be built up into something you don't recognize, that you're not familiar with, that you don't, rec- that you don't trust, and that ultimately that you want to be. Ultimately, you're not going to become something that you don't see as good. So ultimately, this verse is pointing out to us that there's a real place that his goodness transforms us. So obviously, the amount of intimacy we have is the amount of reception to his goodness, which means it really reflects how much we're going to allow him to transform us. Knowing God and being known is intimacy, right? But it's also the place of where we, let me say this again, that as we get to know God, and as we feel known by him, we are already known by him, we actually are allowing ourselves to be touched by his goodness. And as we take those risks along the way, that's where rooted our roots actually come. Our trust. But that transformation actually comes from us releasing where we've been to trust what he's done. Philippians 3.10 says, And this so that I may know him, experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding and remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in the same way experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his suffering by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death. Woo. I don't know about you. I would love this. Even to his death. Those who really know me know I'm I'm willing to die for my Jesus. Like, and that's not no just talk. But what this speaks to me is this place where we know him well. It's not just a talk, it's it's experiencing him. And that his death and his resurrection aren't a flat piece of paper. It's not, it's not just a book. It's alive. He's making himself known. He's, he's actually, a, there's character that wants to know us in each of our steps of our lives. That whether you're struggling because you feel alone and you're working hard and you don't know what to do. Or you're just coasting and you just feel like everything's easy. 
or on the opposite side where you just don't know where to put the work in or you just are failing every corner. No matter what, he's making himself alive and known in our process because he's a God who actually cares, who's grabbing a hold, he's seeing, and it's not based off of how good you think you are or how bad you think you are. It's a work he's chosen to do because he actually has good intentions for us. And the fourth direction, unity. This is like the spin acre. It leads us against our own streams. It goes against our own water. The truth is, is you would not go against yourself if you didn't have something else to seek. The truth is, is that we can even choose to totally just choose one part of God to serve and be excellent at that. Is there anything wrong with that? No. I would argue that if you're excellent with a part of God when you're by yourself, that's fantastic. But the truth is, is that when we are together, and I'm looking around this room, there's a lot of different people in this room, right? The truth is, is that I have to be a different person. I have to actually learn to be better. I have to soften parts of my heart. I have to be changed with the goal of unity in mind. And God has given us that direction to change our character because it actually causes us to sacrifice ourselves. He's actually given us unity to say just because you're good at something doesn't sacrifice where I'm better at something. And Christ died and was resurrected. And in that same way, we have to die and be resurrected. Now, it's not physically, but the truth is is that there's lots of actions and heart positions that don't reflect God's priorities, right? So in that place where you're great at serving God in one way, does that mean that you're bad at serving God in another way? Absolutely. Everybody here has strengths and weaknesses. Does that mean that the world revolves around what you think is right or wrong? Same for me. What I think is right and wrong with specifically, like, without a doubt, I'll list off the things. Discipleship, community, uh, faith, uh, radicalism, sacrifice. Those are the things that my heart beats for. You, you're going to hear, if, it, if it's not around those parameters, then I'm going to think it's like whack. But the thing is, is that the truth is, is that like that's only one section of God. And if I limited my God and his greatness to that, I would be missing out on all the other portions of God and his character. And the truth is that's for all of us. We are a piece of the body. We are not the body. And us together, when we fight for unity, is when we actually get the full image of God. But also, as we're fighting for unity, it means that we're being transformed into a unified position, which means sometimes we have to sacrifice. And number five, avoiding deception. I think the truth is is that, I I love this picture, by the way. It it had me weak when I saw it. But um, I think we spend so much time as the church talking about this, avoiding deception. 
How many of us have heard something about avoiding deception? Don't be deceived. This world will conform you. You know, the truth is, is that that's a real statement. The world will deceive you. Satan will deceive you. But the truth is, is the rotor and the till of the sailboat will direct us, right? Remember, it'll cause you to be able to shift to position to catch the wind the way you need to. That is how avoiding deception is. See, but the truth is, is without faith, unity, and intimacy, you don't know what deception is. Because without those directions, you may be deceiving yourself with your priorities, with your history, with your success. And you might find yourself in turbulent waters with no sail and no mass, just trying to direct with your rudders, trying to figure out where you're going. You guys can read Colossians 2, 8, and 9. The truth is, is that there's arguments and knowledge and fights for everything, right? I'm sure that we all have had great information. Why is it that we have such an aptitude to fall rules and become legalistic and religious and fall for things into this hard hardness that doesn't reflect God? The reason why is because we don't recognize the right directions he gives us to get to the goal which is what he's done for us, not what we've done for him. Which is ultimately faith in him that causes us to risk. See, you can't take power and pride and be hard-hearted about something that's done for you that you have to trust to be done for you. But then... To take it to the next step, it's not just about that, but it's actually knowing this God. Why? Why should I trust you, God? Why are you good? Why is it how much different you put me in this world? You put me through these things. I have these struggles, God. When are you gonna you're gonna help me? I miss some things. I deserve to fail. But the truth is in intimacy that that direction to get to know him more shows where he's different than you. And that little voice of say why, why you're not qualified will teach you why he's saying you already are. The fourth is unity because as we look around, the truth is, is that you don't even have all the direction. We need each other. You're needed. Everybody here is needed. Everybody on Facebook world, you're needed. And by making yourself absent, you might be missing out on where you're actually the person who's meant to help. The truth is, is that this unity helps us overcome. And guess what that means sometimes? Conflict. Conflict with yourself, conflict with others, I might be wrong, you might be wrong, but no matter what, Christ is right. And that's where we open the word. These categories show us what real deception is because God is king. God has already done his work. God is meeting you. There's no way to argue where he's asking you to trust him. There's no way to argue his character. 
those things as we fight to believe them in the middle of our place of heartbreak, in the middle of the place where we're lost, in the middle of the place where we don't know, that's the place that changes us. The place that really deceives us is where we think we know. I'm going to leave us with one challenge. You guys ready for it? Are you guys ready for it? Are you ready? (laughs) So, where are you willing to let go of what you think you know to experience a God that is bigger than your understanding? I just leave you with that. Not because it's, I'm trying to like dumbfound us or rebuke anybody, but in a place where God wants to love past our understanding, his grace is past our understanding. He wants to lead us past what we understand. We shouldn't trust our understanding, but trust him. We shouldn't be led by our way. It means that we have to surrender what we think we know in that little voice in our head, which reflects us rather than God. So as you guys pray and you listen to his voice and you read his word, let it show you his character and see where you can be led towards that. If you don't understand that, I'm always open to talking, debating, disagreeing. Open up that word and praying. Because as a family, we have to learn how to disagree but be able to pray together and fast together to find the conclusion where unity is actually what defines the direction. Disagreement before God is actually us laying down ourselves and sacrificing our rights and privileges. Because ultimately we're worshiping him, not worshiping my opinion. Amen? Okay. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you so much that we get to be on this water with you. Thank you that I'm long-winded, but you are very faithful with the seeds that you, you pour out, Lord. And I just pray that for each of us, we all have our different placements, our different struggles, our different hardships, but all of us struggle with trusting you sometimes, Lord. So I pray that you would teach us You would teach us how to trust you. Trust your goodness. Trust your direction. Trust your touch. Trust your character. Lord, that it would not be an idea of of some words on a page, but it would be the realness of your words in our lives, our heart. Your scripture is written inside of us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that as we do open up that word, they would become breath breathed in from the Spirit, Lord. That every moment it would be something where you're reaching out and saying, I am here. You are not alone. You do not have to struggle by yourself. Lord, I just pray right now that for all of us, no matter where we are on Facebook world or in this room right now, that we would not be left alone. That we would see that as our character is being changed, it's not something that happens overnight, but it's something that you have brought us to a journey 
to, to do. But you've given us all the parts to be able to participate with it. That the truth is, is that you have given us this mass. All we have to do is choose to capture your wind, Lord. And you will propel us forward. Lord, it isn't about how bad we are, but it's about how good you are. I pray that we could look into your face and see exactly how good you are. Pray this in your name. Amen.